Well, thanks for being here and uh, showing up to a class with uh, such an exciting title and um, one that uh, looks like it's going to be a real pick-me-up, right? So um, my mom refused to come. She said that just looked too deep, right? She's just like, I, just, I don't want to know. Um, I've got a couple of my shepherds, my dad here, um, and so they, they've experienced a lot of this uh, with me uh, firsthand and been a part of, of that. Um, but I just appreciate your your presence here. Um, I want to just spend um, some time doing some introductions because this is a small enough group that we can, and then we can kind of know who's in the room, so we can kind of talk with one another and um, and share a little bit. Uh, my name is Jason Burnett, and um, I'm, I'm the lead minister at Montgomery Church of Christ in Albuquerque. Um, so that often confuses people. It's Montgomery Boulevard, and uh, we're in Albuquerque. And so I've been there for almost nine years now, nine years in August. I went there from um, Dallas, where I was at for 10 years, and uh, at Albuquerque's home. So born and raised there um, and been living there. Um, it was a church that was in a major transition, which is our way of saying there was a big split and a bunch of people left, right? And so uh, we, we have been in this rebuilding phase, and that was kind of the... What I, what, what I was brought in uh, to lead was in this this rebuilding after all the elders and all the ministers quit. Um, let's come in and, and kind of start over. So, um, so it was it was a challenge uh, that I felt like I was up to day one. Um, if you uh, gave me a picture now uh, when I was interviewing uh, of everything that I was going to go through, I may or may not have uh, been up for uh, quite as much, uh, but. Uh, uh, it's, it's been good and has, has been a blessing as well. So, um, I am married with uh, three girls, and uh, we um, are enjoying being in Albuquerque some of the time, most of the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, my wife is the worship minister at our church, so we get to work together. And uh, we've got five, seven, and we'll be 13 in two weeks. And so, uh, going back to the days of having a teenager in the house. So, um, we also raised our two nieces. So, this is round two for us um, of having teenage girls. So, um, anyway, I want to I hear from you who you are. And um, if, if you could just give me your name, um, what ministry role that you have, and maybe just one sentence of why in the world you thought a burnout class was the place um, for you. Uh, for an eight o'clock on Wednesday morning, so um, we can just start over here and work work our way over. So, I'm Garrett Hall. I'm the young adult pastor at Fellowship Dallas, and I'm just trying to be proactive. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Tim, and um, I'm the lead minister at Crosspoint Church in Grand Prairie, Texas, which is the metro. And uh, we've had some turnover. Just checking things out, seeing where the loneliness thing kind of takes Okay. Uh, Scott Polkowski, uh, preaching minister, although it feels more like executive minister in uh, Helena, Montana. So, and because I am burned out, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm Seth McDowell. I'm in uh, Frisco, Texas. I'm the preacher there and came to hear you. All right, thanks. Good to see you. Pat. Oh, just I'm Pat. I'm in, I'm in Dallas. I preach at Highland Oaks. Um, I'm here because I love uh, preachers, and I believe in investing in the office of preaching, and I want to be supportive of my good friend, Jason. So that's why I would come to a class on burnout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Lee. I'm the youth pastor at um, Amity Christian Church in Amity, Oregon. Um, and 
here because the last two years of ministry have been really difficult and mm -hmm. ready to be refreshed. So, yeah. good. All right. I'm Curtis Burnett. I've been an elder for 30 something years and uh, I'm point of prayer. This is my dad, too, by the way. <laughs> <coughs> I'm Scott. I'm uh, from Houston, Texas, at the Kingwood Church of Christ, where I'm the preacher. And uh, I've been there for 10 years and realizing that if I want to be there for another 10, I need to make some adjustments. Yeah. My name is Jeb Bristow-Hanna, and I preach at the uh, Central Kitsap Church of Christ in Oldsville, Washington. And uh, at one point <coughs> last month, one of the elders asked me the question, are you okay? So. <laughs> There's all kinds of things to read into that. I think, uh, I think I need to be here. <laughs> so the answer is no. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. <laughs> all right. Yeah. My name is Kevin Knight. I'm a youth and family minister in Colorado Springs, Eastside. Let's see. A year and a half ago, I had an elder ask me, are you all right? And I said no, and then I got fired. Um, <laughs> and in the middle of feeling burnout and not all right, I got to find a new job and start all over. Mm. Right. So, so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My name is Rick, and I'm the youth minister at the CK Church. And uh, the elders sent me to make sure Jeb made it to this class. <laughs> I run a lot of the meal industries for this man here in Albuquerque, and this is my husband Jason, who's an elder. Who so. did not fire me when I said I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Probably part of the problem, sorry. That's a different section, we'll get We are Jay and Carrie Hawkins. We live in Caldwell, Idaho, and I'm the preacher there. And actually, I had an elder uh, who said that he was going to recommend that I get a sabbatical. Okay. Mm. Uh, been there 20 years. Mm. And he's just now recommending a spouse. <laughs> <laughs> I've had one before. Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. I'm Devin Renfrell. Um, I'm the youth minister at the Mason Church of Christ. Okay. And uh, I thought this might be preventative. So I thought it would be good information. Okay. And also, I'm not okay is my favorite My Chemical Romance song. So it's like, mm. happy to choose that. All right, good. Um, my name is Vash, I just finished my first year here, and it's been a struggle, you know, dealing with folks, um, and my dad is a preacher at a congregation for 25 years, and I can see certain signs of burnout, so I'm just right. trying to get information to help him be ready. Yeah, all right, well thank you guys for being here, thank you for um, just uh, trusting this time, right, with, with a title like this. Um, some of you in a very early, you know, just want to be, you know, just be cautious and not, uh, get in too far. Some of you are there and uh, need, need a way to dig out. So um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a tough place to be. So I, I just want to start, you know, the, the subtitle of this, the description of this was um, part autobiographical, you know, part uh, maybe some group therapy. We can, you know, give each other a hug on our way out or something and uh, some encouragement there. Some just knowing that other people are in similar situations is one of the great things about coming to places like this that's like you're not 
you're not as alone as you feel. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, just kind of instructional things that I have kind of learned through this journey um, that have been helpful for me or insightful or, or at least a little bit just descriptive of, of things I couldn't put labels on and that it was, it was helpful to have those labels. So um, like I said, I, I went to Albuquerque nine years ago to help uh, turn around this church, right? And I was naive enough to think that that was an easier process than it really is. Um, and uh, naive enough to think that I had you know, the, the abilities to, to do a lot of that. Um, but uh, went into that and, and just and just dove in, right? Like this, it was my first lead ministry role. I had been an associate before. And um, just diving into that role was, was a huge challenge. One of the things that we discovered um, was that we, we needed to do something with our building. I've talked to several people just in the last 24 hours who are facing the same thing. You've got this um, massive building uh, that you don't fill anymore, and the chances of filling that building are slim, and, and really we're in a mode of ministry where that's just not the story that we have anymore, right? Like we're, we're not going to be the mega church. You know, our, our philosophy of ministry is different. For, for us, I, I never wanted a, a, a thousand seat auditorium. I want a bunch of small uh, a bunch of small gatherings where people can actually know each other's names, right? So, so even philosophically, the size was was a problem for us. Our deferred maintenance was overwhelming. We could not afford to keep the building. We could not afford to maintain the building. And so we went down this road of what what would it look like if we sold our building, redeveloped our property, did something, right? So that that's a whole big project, right? Um, and then uh, we also <laughs> I I wanted to use that as a catalyst for growth for the future. And so with that, we decided that we were also going to add an instrumental worship gathering. Um, so, you know, our church had already, you know, had lost half the people who didn't like um, women doing ministry. And so um, we, you know, we already had kind of this clear path to be able to do a little bit more change management. But, but going through this whole process of starting a new worship gathering, starting a new style of worship um, in an acapella church that doesn't know how to play an instrument, and then um, you know, try, trying to launch these, you know, all, all of these things are adding to the leadership challenges of what's going on. Um, and then my wife got pregnant. Um, uh, this, for our third, our third child, we have, we've had two children uh, since being um, in Albuquerque. And so pregnant with our third. Um, and uh, while all this building stuff is shuffling around trying to figure out what we're going to do, um, go in, it's August of 2000, let's see, 2016. Um, that August we go in for a sonogram, and uh, I'm, oh, I'm also finishing grad school at ACU, by the way, um, during that time. <laughs> so get home from a, a short course in Abilene, go in for the sonogram. Um, the doctor says, we need to talk about this leg thing. And we're like, what do you mean this leg thing? She doesn't have one. She's missing a leg, she's missing a kidney, she's missing a a hip and so um, you know all the way up to here is just not there um, and so this is this midterm sonogram and so that just has this whole domino effect of, of what does this mean because this goes together this is um, this is often connected with all these other birth defects and problems and so every week we're going in for updates she's not um, the right size she's not growing uh, enough and so the doctor is telling us I guarantee you that we're going to be delivering prematurely. We're talking to um, talking to, to the NICU and surgeons and all this, trying to figure out what's going to happen once 
once she comes out, what are we going to be dealing with? Um, and we go to 38, 39 weeks, I think it is, which is pretty much full term, right? Mm -hmm. So we, we did not have this premature. She was delivered and went to the room with us and was, aside from missing a leg and a kidney, which is not insignificant, aside from that, had no other medical issues. And so, um, so all this fear and anxiety had just built week after week after week preparing for this birth. And now we have this baby who is relatively, is otherwise perfectly healthy. And so we don't fit into any of the categories of medical care and are just on our own to go figure out what to do with this anomaly. Um, and so we're consulting with doctors and prosthetists and going to conferences and all this kind of stuff, trying to figure out what it is that we need to do with her. And, um, and nobody had an answer, right? It's just like, we've never seen this before. We've found one other kid in Canada who has a similar condition and talk to their doctor and talk to his mom and aside from that, go figure it out, right? So, so that's going on and we're trying to sell our property and we're trying to build a new building and we're trying to launch an instrumental worship, an instrumental worship service. Remember my wife is the worship minister. <laughs> um, so we're in this together on the church side as well as the, the personal side. And so all of that is building um, the, the building gets delayed and delayed and delayed. We get into a legal battle with the neighborhood. Um, all of this is just building and building. All right, so there's a lot more detail there. That's not the point of this class. The point is it was a really, really rough time. So we finally get brown and ground broken. Um, October of 2019 is when we finally break ground on our new building. We moved out of our building. We're doing portable church. Right, so if you know the timeline, October of 2019, we have no building, we're in a portable facility, moving in and out of a school every week, and then we get to March 2020, where you know there's a little bit of stuff happening, and you know the whole world shuts down, right? And we don't have a building to be in, and so we have to pivot, just like everybody else does, pivot and figure out how to go online, but we don't have a building, and we have this little old parsonage that we've been using for an office. We turn it into a recording studio and start doing video stuff. And you, know, you all journeyed your you know, journey through all that. We all have that in common. So, um, so we moved into our building, finished it, finished construction during COVID, moved into that building in July of 2020 to an empty room. And so five years, of dreaming about this moment of having this new building to be a catalyst for new growth, launching a new service, all these things that we had been doing, staffing for that, building teams, all that to launch this new thing is now gone, right? It, it is just, it's, it's, it's done. So my exhaustion and um, tiredness before COVID hit, I was worn out, right? I was, I was just running on fumes to get through all of this when, when COVID hit. And so then added on all the COVID, racial tensions, political issues, the political side of it just really, along with you know, like 40% of other ministers, according to the Barna study that came out a couple weeks ago, you know, it's like the political climate 
has taken a toll on us, right? Um, whatever side you land on left or right, it has been exhausting over the last few years. Um, so, it's, yeah. Um, so all of that, you know, I was exhausted before that. So add all that on, and then the disappointment of a dream unrealized, right? And so it, it just it, it just took you know, just took everything out from underneath me, right? And our our church is generous enough to offer a sabbatical every seven years, and so I that was my seventh year, and so we opened the building and I left, yeah. and I, I had a, a one month sabbatical, and then um, came back and was just still exhausted, like it just wasn't like it wasn't enough, right? Like that one month was just enough to like kind of catch my breath. And so, but I, I felt like I should be better. I should be okay, right? I've had this sabbatical, things are going, like the church was going well. Like, like things have been going well at church and it should be okay. I should be okay. And I'm not okay. And so that progresses and progresses, and I am not okay. And you know, my fuse is about this short, and I get angry and mad, and um, I am it, it, like just not okay. And so I get to this. Uh, I, I kind of share this with um, my associate minister, who also happens to be my best friend, who also quit and left. So that was another <laughs> another complicating factor in all this. Thank you, buddy. Um, and so, um, and then, come on in. Um, if, you just, if you just want to jump in here, and you have to have a special engineering degree. So all this is open. Look. Thank you. So, You gotta talk to the shepherds, right? You you gotta talk. You gotta let them know what's going on. You gotta have. You, you gotta bring them in on what's happening. So, um, it it was a terrifying thing, right? Because I hear too many stories like this, right? Like, elderships are crazy, right? And um, like I hear these stories of other churches, and just how how horrible they can be to ministers, right? And like, so this is me telling my bosses that I am not okay. And what are they gonna do with that information, right? And so we were having our monthly business meeting and it was on Zoom because that's what you do <laughs> now. And um, so we're on Zoom, which is not ideal, but we're doing a staffing update. So I'm telling them about my associate minister who's leaving or staying or leaving. I can't remember which one it was at that point. Um, and, and then, um, and other staffing things. Our children's minister, you know, quit after 14 years, and wow. you know, so we had, you know, all this staff staff stuff. But um, you know, I got to the staffing report, and I kind of gave them all the reports, and then I said, and I got to, to me, I was like, I'm, I'm not okay. That was all I could say. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm not okay. And it was this this moment of vulnerability. It was this moment of of like just verbalizing it and admitting it out loud. And, and say, I'm, I'm just, I'm not okay. 
I, I can't do this by myself, I can't do it alone, and I can't keep going down this path. This is, this is, this is not going anywhere, or it's, it's going somewhere, and it's not good. <laughs> um, nothing is going nowhere. So, um, they were incredibly gracious. Um, I think one of the great things um, about our eldership is all the wives are included in all of our meetings. Um, and so, so we had that perspective as well, <laughs> which makes a difference. That's another conversation for another time, but a different, different, different class, different thing. But um, having them in there definitely changes the tone. And that's a great group of men as well. I think they would have handled it great, but having, having their wives present um, changes that as well. So um, incredibly gracious, incredibly supportive, um, and incredibly um, just wanting to help, right? And said, you know, take the time that you need, do what you need. And so, so I, I felt so guilty because I'm like, I'm just a year, I, less than a year ago, I've already done a sabbatical and here I am asking for another sabbatical. Like, is this okay? <laughs> and so they, they were gracious enough to offer that. And so that was September, um, spent October kind of tying up loose ends, you know, couldn't, couldn't just jump out immediately, but um, started you know, just tying up loose ends and then headed out in November of last year um, into this uh, five, five weeks off, off, and then not preaching again. Um, I think I had almost 10 weeks off of preaching, thankfully, because the associate minister was still there. Um, <laughs> but um, so, so that, and, and then that became a time for me just to hit the reset button. That was not a time of healing. It was not a time of recovery. It was a time of just hitting the brakes on a downward spiral. Right. So I, I started my time off by uh, my first week of sabbatical. I went to Santa Fe um, and just uh, spent the day there walking around. They've got um, a prayer garden and stuff at the, the big Catholic church there. Spent the day there and then flew to Dallas um, for a funeral. Um, but it was a great time with friends and family that I had not seen in so long. Um, did some more travel just by myself. I went to New York City because flights were $73. Once in a lifetime opportunity. So I went to, went to New York for a week, went back to Dallas, went to the initiative, spent some time uh, with, with other ministers there who were all dragging. But it was my first, for many of us, that was our first gathering in person in two years, right? That, that was my first conference thing to go back to in person um, back in November. And to be able to connect with people there, talk to people there, and um, anyway. So went through that cycle. That's, that's like my story and you know, too long because I, I have a lot of other stuff, but that, that is what has been kind of gnawing at me uh, through this, this time, kind of how I got there. <coughs> Um, but for, for me, as I, as I thought about burnout, for me, burnout was, I'm tired, I need a vacation, right? Or, you know, I need a day off, I need to go for a hike, like that, for me, that was what burnout was. But, but as I was reading more about this and diving in more, burnout is something far greater than just, I need a day off, right? So, so this is one definition. Uh, persistent, negative, work-related state of mind that's characterized by exhaustion, 
a sense of reduced effectiveness, decreased motivation, and the development of dysfunctional work attitudes and behaviors. And so that's, that's a lot heavier than I need a day off, right? Um, the, 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 there is a heaviness to burnout um, that is, is, is um, really nearing into kind of a clinical state of, of, of burnout there, a place that you, you're needing something pretty significant. Um, one of the things that, that I was reading through, and so as I'm, as I'm realizing that burnout is much more severe than just, I need a break, right? Um, I was reading, um, Carrie Newhoff is a blogger, pastor, you know, he does a lot of leadership stuff. Um, if you haven't read any of his stuff, go and, and Google Carrie Newhoff. Um, he's got a ton of stuff out there, but one of the things is he tells his story of burnout. And for him, when he got to this burnout, he talked about his recovery. And th this was really important for me to hear his story of recovery. Because I'm not, like, I had to give them this topic, um, well, when was, when was it due? Like last September or something like that. I didn't get it to them until January because of this decreased motivation and uh, this exhaustion. And like, am I even, can I even present to Pepperdine? Like, I don't even know if I can. And so January, I was like, okay, the only thing I know to talk about is this. Um, and that's it. So this is what you got. And so, um, but for him, he talked about this recovery. For him, he said, he, he took three or four weeks off, you know, so I, you know, I took, you know, I took four, four or five weeks off, but he said it was six months for him to move from crisis, which is, like he says, like 20% of normal, to operational, which is maybe 60%. Six months, like that's how deep that pit was for him just to get to 60%. And then from six months, it was another year to get to 80%. And then another three to four years to get to 100%. This was eye-opening for me because I thought I should be fixed in four weeks. <laughs> and that was a long time, right? And so for him to say, this is a high-capacity megachurch, like, blogging, speaking, high-capacity guy, for him to say it took three to four years to fully dig out of that pit and get to 100%. In some ways, it was very discouraging, but in other ways, it was kind of affirming at the same time, right? That this is a slow, slow process. You did not get to burnout overnight. You're not going to get out of it overnight. In just a few weeks is not going to be enough. So I remember sitting down with the chairman of our elders um, right at the beginning of my sabbatical saying, I'm not coming, like the next four weeks is not, I'm not coming back fixed. The four weeks is hitting the brakes. And after that is going to be the start of this slow recovery process. And so here I am, I'm, I'm like eight months now. And I'm not, I'm not at 100%. I don't think I'm at 80%. I might be at 60%. Some days I'm at 20%. Yesterday, this last week, I was at 20%. Um, and so, um, and and, I'm, and 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 we can talk more about these cycles. We don't have time to, but but the the, the coming out of recovery too quickly and not fully recovering 
and getting back into it, I'm seeing myself getting into that, that I, I didn't have a full recovery. And so right now I'm on day 25 of the last 24 days working. And so I, I am not okay, right? I, 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 I'm slipping back into this rut that is not headed in a good place, right? And that one day off, I was doing my taxes too. So awesome. So I, this is not this is not a success story that I'm sharing with you. This is a journey that I'm in, right? And so um, if you're expecting a success story at the end, just you know, that's not where we're at. All right. So this book, go get this book. Um, Wes Beavis is a doctor talking about. Let's talk about ministry burnout. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna just steal all of his stuff, right? That's what these lectures are for, right? And so, um, but this will be a good resource for you if you feel like you're in any in any stage of this. He gives these stages of burnout um, that I just want to go through really quickly um, to kind of talk through because where where do you see yourself in these? All right. So just real quickly, um, stage one um, is this just emotional exhaustion. Right, you can get here, you know, we get after, you know, we go through a building project, we go through a big project, we get um, through Easter, we get through, you know, whatever the big thing is, and we're, we're exhausted, right? We can get to stage one often, and, and all of us find ourselves in stage one, um, where, wherever you're at. But there's just this emotional exhaustion. It's more than just a, I'm tired, it's, it's a, there's this emotional piece to it. Um, stage two, is this increased frequency and duration of this negative assessment. So negative assessment um, starts, to, starts to break down um, and attack who you are. Um, stage three is this loss of resiliency. You're getting a shorter and shorter fuse. Your tolerance for irritants which a few of those exist in church, right? Um, you know, your tolerance for irritants becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. Right? Sorry, Jason. I know, yeah. <laughs> Jason and Kathy were the victim of this. So, um, uh, isolation, I just want to be alone, right? And so you start removing yourself from other staff members, other volunteers, your elders, whoever, you, you just start withdrawing. You start isolating yourself. Four, it starts impacting your work. Your, your effectiveness is starting to diminish. And then stage six is kind of the off the edge where your whole identity is lost. Like I don't even know who I am, what I'm doing, or anything. So kind of expanding on those a little bit. Um, and we, we have 10 minutes, right? Okay. Um, so this emotional exhaustion, we can, we can relate to that. All of us can get there, right? It's just a loss of vitality, being overextended, being depleted. You know, I've, I've been working for 25 days in a row. I'm exhausted, right? Where do you go from there? Stage two becomes this negative assessment. Now, I, I forgot to mention I'm in Enneagram one, so everything has to be perfect, and my inner critic is on overload. Right, mm -hmm. so I already have like this propensity to burn out. Um, I'm also an introvert, 
And so both of those factors, I'm just, I'm, I'm hardwired for burnout. <laughs> awesome, right? So this negative assessment, like that's my life, right? Like, like this is my, my inner life is constant. Like, what am I doing here? Is it worth it? Is this where God wants me? Does God even want me? Um, there are lots of other people who could be doing this better than me. And so you just, your personal confidence, your optimism, all of that is just eroding away and it's it's spiraling into this self-condemnation right? stage three becomes this loss of emotional stability um, your personal disciplines um, your resiliency your, your, your and the, this becomes manifested in, in depression and anxiety and anger and despair insomnia difficult sleeping or maybe sleeping too much right and so you just can't get out of bed um, your your personal disciplines of exercise and diet or hygiene or what you know however it, it goes for you those things start to slip um, you're easily frustrated frustrated and triggered right it's that short fuse you can't you, you can't respond well to, to irritants right so that becomes that loss of resiliency the isolation becomes um, avoiding people um, social occasions so if you're an introvert this really really becomes a problem, right? Because you're already pushing yourself in ministry to be what you need to be as an introvert, right? You know, there are more introverts in ministry than not, which I, I'm surprised by, right? I remember walking up the stairs of the Bible building at ACU and, and bumping into Randy Harris, and I'm like, how, this is before I was in ministry, but discerning a call into ministry, I'm like, how do you do this as an introvert, right? Well, there's a lot of us that are introverts in ministry. And ministry has this expectation of an extroverted presence. And so we're already stretching ourselves to be in that. So the, the snapping point is already closer, right? So so when, when you're in this mode, getting into here, you get to this point where just being, like I found myself, I was so thankful that we all had to wear masks every Sunday. Mm. And we had to keep a distance. Because because I because I because I in because I was here right and it gave me an excuse. It gave me this excuse to keep a distance, and and I could retreat further and further into this pit, and it was currently socially acceptable. Actually, socially required, <laughs> especially in New Mexico, and so um, so. So, the, so COVID complicated this for me because it gave me permission. I, you can't do anything social. All right, I'm going to go withdraw further and further and further. And so you get at this place where you're avoiding social situations. Um, you're avoiding um, being with people. You want to be alone, alone more than normal. And all of it is kind of the sense of shame that you're hiding from, right? Like, you're, you, you, you know this isn't okay, but you can't get out of that, and so you just go and hide and dig yourself further and further. And then you get into this diminished sense of work and effectiveness where you're, you're avoiding responsibilities, um, you're, you're avoiding interactions with the staff or volunteers, you're procrastinating, um, you, your creativity is gone, uh, you're struggling to prepare sermons, like being able to write a sermon is painful right in this phase right and um, 
and and then you just sink into you know mindless you know internet surfing or whatever your coping mechanism is right just wasting time your effectiveness is is gone and then there's this identity impairment here which is you see yourself as a failure you feel like you're disqualified as a leader you're constantly searching the internet for other jobs. Um, you're, um, <laughs> you laugh about that. How many of you do that, right? <laughs> um, and your dominant script is, I'm worthless, who would want me? This is a brutal place to be, right? And, um, and your confidence is lost. And, and just your deeply held values and beliefs about who you are and who God is and who the church is, all of that is just being eaten up, right? All right, so hearing your stories about why you're here, um, some of you are just here for preventative measures. Good job, right? <laughs> Listen to this, because I have been in that spot where we're wiser, more experienced ministers are telling me and giving me the warning signs of what this is, and I still landed here, right? I, I've been in, in, in groups with Mike Cope saying, you've got to find ways to play, and you've got to find ways to relax, and you've got to find ways to keep this work-life balance in check. I've been warned. So for you that are not here, <laughs> be warned and please, please listen. But I think a lot of us can see ourselves in one of these six stages, right? Some of us may be further down than others. And so um, one, of the, one of the things about these stages is how quickly there, there's an increased acceleration in these final stages, right? It can take you months or years to get through stage one and then you know something hits and maybe a few months into stage two and then a month into stage three and then four five and six can just drop off really quickly um, and we are in a profession that has a propensity to burn out anyway right so helping professions are are more at risk for burnout, and ministry in particular is like the perfect breeding ground for burnout, right? Because of all of these other factors at play um, that make it different. We have organizational factors that, that drive uh, drive through this. Um, the demands of our congregation, right? And how reasonable or often unreasonable are those expectations? Um, the, the toxic church cultures, uh, many of our churches are super dysfunctional, and that, and you're having to work in that every day. Um, the size of the congregation is is a, is a factor, right? The smaller the congregation, the higher the risk for burnout, because you're doing more and more and more. You're doing everything, right? There is no break. There is no relief. There is no backup. Right, the smaller the church, the bigger the church, still at risk, but there's more support there. Um, you know, one of the factors in employee satisfaction. This is a corporate thing, not a church thing. 
one of the things about employee satisfaction is having a friend at work. Mm -hmm. And when you're the only person at work, or maybe it's you and a 90-year-old secretary. <laughs> <laughs> what is she's she? not 90. She is not 90, okay. <laughs> she's 70, she's not 90. She's <laughs> She's been there for 90 years. <laughs> anyway. But, but really, I mean, a lot of our churches, the way they're structured, you are the lone ranger. You're the only one there. The elders have no idea what it's like to be at that office every day. It's just you and you have no friends, right? That's most of our churches. And some of us are blessed to be at churches a little bit bigger than that that don't have that story. But on average, most of us are in a place where it's us and maybe a secretary and not a lot of friends, right? And so these organizational factors, church size, financial instability and the weight of that on your church, um, staff trouble, staff turnover, that becomes a problem. Um, mega church conferences are horrible, right? Because you go and look at how great they are and you look at how deficient you are, right? So I, the very first time I was here 20 years ago, right? Keynote speaker 20 years ago, it was the the last time that he was a keynote speaker, until this year, he's a keynote speaker again, 20 years later. I was this college kid looking at this keynote speaker and his introduction. Church has doubled in size since he got there, right? They had 100 baptisms last year. Look at how awesome he is, right? Um, I later got to go work for him at his church, which was an incredible season. Um, at, at that church but it was like the way it was elevated on the keynote stage right like that's what I'm going for and now my church is not doubling in size and I don't have a hundred baptisms of course then I got to spend 10 years working with him and understand that there's a lot more under the hood than what a keynote introduction gives right but those expectations of what's presented, you know, whatever conference you go to, whatever, you know, that's not the vibe here as much, but other, you know, a lot of the conferences that we go to, youth ministry conferences, um, you know, Orange, or whatever it is that you go to, it's like, it, those things are road away. All right, um, but then we have all these personal factors, right? Your personal history, what traumas have you gone through, um, what difficulties have you gone through, like, for, you know, my personal life with, with um, you know, the whole journey with our baby and all that kind of stuff, those are personal factors that are at play. Um, our inadequate boundaries and self-care, um, not recognizing these signs and dropping off of a cliff, um, a lack of friends. Um, one stat says 70% of clergy do not have a close friend. Mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, right? You can relate to that, right? It's like that stat sounds so alarming, but then you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's it. Um, low vocational satisfaction, um, unmet expectations, right? Our building project, you know, opening to an empty room. Um, our personality, introvert versus extrovert. Um, insufficient preparation, like our preparation for ministry is kind of flawed, right? Like, I, I don't know what school you went to, what program you went to, but it was not enough, right? I have a master's degree in business um, and 
not a ministry degree. Um, and I'm prepared in a whole different way than, than a lot of you are, um, and completely deficient in other ways, like preaching, which is like half of my job, right? <laughs> and so we, you know, we're, we're all under-prepared for what it is that ministry is calling us to. Um, family stressors, um, pressure to prove yourself, all of that is, that, is, is, is it are, are challenges that help build the, the climate for that. So, all right, quickly, Kerry Newhoff gives these 12 things to do to, that he did to recover from burnout. A lot of this is more just diagnostic, and I'm sorry, it's not full, filled with hope at the end, right? It's where it's like, it, it, it's, it's a challenge to dig out of this. Some of this is just warning signs. Some of it's able to identify okay, where are you at in those stages and how severe do you need to, to, to move forward in something. So number one, and this is where the vulnerability comes in, tell someone. You gotta have this conversation. You gotta tell somebody, I'm not okay. Right, and that vulnerability is huge. Vulnerability, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability being that, that um, willingness to show up when you don't know what the outcome is. And some of us have been burned by that. And unfortunately, and, and, but we have to show up and, and be honest uh, with that. All right, so you gotta tell somebody you gotta get help. You can't do this alone. That's more vulnerability. We don't like getting help. All right, I wanna be able to do it myself. Maybe that's just me, but I think maybe you can relate. Tell somebody, get help, lean into your friends, right? So those three are huge vulnerability things especially when 70% of pastors don't have friends, <laughs> when churches are toxic and dysfunctional in their leadership, and you know, right, like the, we're not, this is the challenge to get over the hump, right? So can you tell somebody, can you get help, can you lean into your friends? Keep leaning into God is the fourth one. Five, you gotta find some rest. Um, if, uh, if you are not off, if, if you don't have a sabbatical as a part of your packet, your benefits package, you need to renegotiate your benefits package. And you need to go talk to Trey Finley um, at 1128 and, um, and talk to him about, he has a whole process for um, kind of making a case for how to get a sabbatical and what a sabbatical is, right? So if you don't have a sabbatical, go get a sabbatical um, built into your schedule as a preventative thing, right? That should be built in there as a preventative thing, not as a 911 emergency. Um, Find something else to take your attention away from your pain, right? Sometimes you just need to go to a movie. Um, so that's number six. Seven, do what you can. Like, just focus on the pieces that you can do. I, you know, what is your 50%? And, and just, just work on getting through those things. Number eight is a huge one because 40-something percent of pastors in the last year have seriously considered leaving their church and quitting ministry, not just their church, quitting ministry. 40% of us over the last year are significantly, they're seriously considering leaving ministry altogether. So, number eight, don't do anything drastic or stupid. <laughs> and sometimes drastic and stupid is um, quitting your job, finding a new career. Sometimes drastic and stupid is falling into moral failure and, and getting into things that you shouldn't be getting into. Um, number nine for him, because a lot of his was triggered off of broken trust, he said trust again. He had some relationships that really broke the trust. And so learning how to trust again, 
10, closely monitoring margin. 11, watch for the warning signs. Going through those six stages, those are the warning signs, right? Like, watch for that. I, I feel myself getting more isolated, right? That is a huge warning sign for me. I also have this pain that goes up the back of my neck that's a warning sign. And it's physical. Go study, go study the, the physiological responses of stress. There's a lot out there right now. Um, watch for those warning signs. I have physical warning signs in my body right through my neck here. Um, when I see myself becoming more isolated, that's a huge warning sign for me. Um, Twelve, you've got to take full responsibility for your health. Um, the health of your body, the health of your soul. No one is going to do that for you. And so you've got to take responsibility for that. So, um, anyway, we're out of time. And I, I got to the end of this book, and I, and I was incredibly disappointed. Because I wanted a quick answer. And so some of you are incredibly disappointed right now. Because you didn't get a quick, a quick answer. Um, but that's the reality of the pit that, that this is, right? There is no quick answer. Um, naming it is a huge step in recovery. Whatever that is, right? If it's addiction, if it's burnout, if it's relationship problem, what, whatever your problem is, naming it is, is, is the first step um, to be able to get into a place of recovery. So. Um, Pat, could you pray for us of course. just as, uh, as an exit? Sure. So. <clears throat> Loving and faithful God, uh, you are the one who holds us, uh, the one who reminds us that we are not measured by our effectiveness or our success. We're only measured by uh, the truth of your Son revealed in Scripture and the Spirit that lives within us, a Spirit that reminds us that we are your beloved and that we can come to you in all our weariness and exhaustion because your yoke is easy mm -hmm. and uh, our burden can be light. So give us the courage to be vulnerable. Uh, give us the uh, discernment to seek out people to help us. And we thank you for this time we've had together. Uh, pour through us your good gifts as we live into your mission in this world. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, you all.